Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. How wonderful to see you return once again to the shop. I'm Chris Baker, your shopkeeper here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. And today we've got something very special for you. This is something new to the shop. It's quite, uh, quite good size. It's got some heft to it. It's made of metal, cube-shaped, almost a filigree look to it. And if you look closely enough at the designs around this, you'll see what is known as the Seal of Ashanti. Now, this bizarre cube may be something used in magic. Possibly it could be used to trap something, a spell perhaps. This cube is not unlike the one used by one Doctor Strange in a new movie from Disney and Marvel and the subject of today's episode. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and look at Spider-Man No Way Home. Like many of you, I have been a huge fan of the new Spider-Man films starring Tom Holland. It's been a breath of fresh air for the Spider-Man franchise. You know, the first trilogy uh, was kind of hit or miss with Sam Raimi at the helm. Spider-Man 1 was pretty good. Spider-Man 2, probably the pinnacle and the standard for a superhero sequel. Just a fantastic movie. Part 3 seemed like they were trying to do too much. And, and from what I understand, it was a lot of the studio wanting to make Sam Raimi include the Venom character. And, and a lot of studio uh, chicanery and interfering. So that movie probably wasn't what it could have been. And it was interesting. It would have been interesting to see what Sam Raimi would have done with a fourth Spider-Man film, but that never came to be because we then came upon the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man films, which those had some good things and some bad things. I think one of the good things was the casting. I thought Andrew Garfield was an excellent Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. He really added what I felt Tobey Maguire lacked from the first Spider-Man trilogy. He added some of the fun and some of the sarcasm and some of the quick quips as he's flying around fighting these bad guys. I believed that was the, I believed Andrew Garfield in that sort of character role. The problem with the Spider-Man, uh, the amazing Spider-Man uh, movies is that they just weren't that good. The scripts weren't that good. I don't feel uh, like they did the, the movie or the characters any justice and that was probably one of the biggest reasons why those two movies didn't do as well as I, I kind of hope they would because like I said I really liked Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man slash Peter Parker. Then along comes Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017 and then Spider-Man Far From Home in 2019 uh, starring Tom Holland as the titular Spider-Man aka Peter Parker and he really I think one of the things that Tom Holland does well that I really liked about Andrew Garfield is he really portrays that youthful exuberance. The little smart aleck remarks as he's flying through the air, that really is uh, Spider-Man on the page of the Spider-Man comics. And growing up, I was a huge Spider-Man fan. When it came to Marvel, 
Spider-Man was my guy. I had the Spider-Man underoos. I had the Spider-Man bed set. Uh, I had little Spider-Man uh, red, black, and blue markers for coloring. Spider-Man was my guy. So uh, I've always had a, a great uh, love in my heart for Spider-Man. And like a lot of the things I really love, you know, we as fans, we kind of take possession of them in our minds and i there are just certain things certain benchmarks i want for a spider-man movie and when they're not met uh, i'm always left a little bit disappointed and that's kind of how i was with this new now it's a spider-man trilogy the home trilogy but uh with the first two homecoming and far from home there were just things about it i love tom holland as the character I wasn't big with Zendaya as as the MJ character. But I think with Spider-Man No Way Home, they really kind of made me like the MJ character a little more in this iteration of Spider-Man. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But but Spider-Man, this, this home series, this home trilogy, if you will, uh, really started off with the first two uh, Spider-Men. Uh, there were just a lot of things I loved about this. But there were a lot of things I didn't like about this uh, this trilogy or what became a trilogy. It felt like they pushed Spider-Man too far too soon. We barely got a look at Peter Parker as Spider-Man, sewing his own costumes, just being a, a kid in a, uh, with spider powers in this spandex suit uh, flying around New York. We barely got a glimpse of that. And all of a sudden, Tony Stark's involved. And he's given him Stark tech and he has a nanotechnology and the iron spider suit and all this fancy equipment that, you know, Spider-Man had all these things eventually here and there in the comics. But the heart of what made Spider-Man great is the fact that, like I said, it was just a kid in a costume flying around New York City with his spider powers fighting crime. And, and trying to, to balance that with being a student or being, you know, a photographer for the, for the Daily Bugle and, and that sort of trying to balance the two lives, which I thought was portrayed really well in the Sam Raimi trilogy. But I, I really didn't like the fact that we got all, you know, Spider-Man just had all this technology. And as, as I've heard it described as a safety net, and I think that's a perfect way of putting it, is giving Spider-Man all this stuff technology early on in this film series it, it gave spider-man a safety net and it just i don't know it just took away some of the things that i loved about spider-man uh, you know he wasn't a technology type superhero uh he wasn't iron man i don't want my spider-man to be iron man and that's what it felt like and for every bad thing i thought about this this new spider-man which like i said there's a lot i loved about it but just there was that one thing, this this whole technology thing, this whole Stark suits uh, thing just always kept gnawing at me in the back of my mind. But No Way Home really assuaged all those fears and made me really excited about the future of Spider-Man. Now, I'm going to be right up front. There is really not any good way for me to do this review without being spoilery. There is just so much going on in this movie that I could do a bit of a, a non-spoilery section to this, but I would be wasting our time because I'm going to have to go over a lot of this again 
in the spoilery section of it. So uh, right off the bat, I'm going to tell you right here now, this is going to be full of spoilers. I'm going to try and not spoil things too much, but it is going to be pretty spoiler heavy. So if you've seen Spider-Man and you just want to hear my thoughts on it, uh, keep plugging away. If you haven't seen Spider-Man and you don't want anything spoiled for you, uh, stop here. I hate telling you to stop this podcast, but I'm going to tell you to stop playing this podcast. Go watch the movie, then come back and listen to my thoughts on it and and see if they jive with yours. Uh, now, you know, if you're like me and spoilers don't always scare you away, then, uh, you know, hold on. It's going to be a bumpy ride because, uh, because <laughs> there's going to be spoilers. And if you don't mind that sort of thing, then, hey, you know what? Uh, keep on trucking with the rest of us. But I got to tell you, this is really, a great movie uh spoilers be damned i'm gonna tell you right off the bat it's a great movie and for anyone that hasn't watched it you gotta check this out if you love spider-man if you love the first two movies uh if you love the the comic books as a kid growing up uh this this movie was great if you love the previous two iterations of spider-man this is really uh, a great vehicle and a great wild ride that starts off a little slow at first i was like I kept hearing how great this movie is uh, from people who've got advanced viewings, but I, I, it's, it's okay. But then then about 45 minutes in, I'm not sure exactly where the timeline was on that, business picked up. And the last 45 minutes to an hour and a half is just worth the price of admission. So that's as non-spoiler a review as I'm going to give you. On with the spoils. Now, the whole movie starts off pretty much where Spider-Man Far From Home left off with J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, in this universe, he's got the dailybugle.net or, or whatever it is, the, the online presence. A very updated version uh, for 2021, which I don't mind that. I'm just glad they got J.K. Simmons back to play Jane Jonah Jameson because to me, uh, from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, he is... I mean, he just play everything I heard in my head reading comics and reading J. J. Jonah Jameson on the page. Uh, J.K. Simmons just exudes all that and so much more. So we're really glad to see him come back. You know, he's talking about how Spider-Man killed Mysterio and Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And we really kind of pick up right there in that moment as Spider-Man's being outed as Peter Parker. And that's what really the first part of the, the movie is all about. It's about how that affects his life. And it's about uh, even more so how it affects the people around him's life. Aunt May, MJ, uh, Ned, his best friend. You know, MJ and Ned can't get into MIT along with Peter just because they know Peter. And there's this stigma about uh, Peter Parker being Spider-Man. And nobody wants to touch him with a 10-foot pole or anybody associated with him with a 10-foot pole. And that really is kind of the MacGuffin of it all, leading us to where Peter Parker goes to Doctor Strange. Because, you know, he's tired of seeing his friends uh, suffer for what he's done for him being Spider-Man. He goes to Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange, trying to, to get him to cast a spell to make everybody forget as you saw in the trailer, you know, he's tampering with the spell. Things go awry. Now, this whole scene where they where they do the spell, it was actually played a little bit different in the trailer than it actually is 
in the movie because in the trailer it's making it look like Wong's telling them not to do the spell this is a bad idea don't do it uh, Wong leaves and Doctor Strange gives a wink to Peter Parker and the camera that he's going to do the spell whereas in the movie they actually play it like Wong's like uh, you probably shouldn't do this but just leave me out of it because everybody thought well Doctor Strange is doing something he's been told not to do or asked not to do this isn't Doctor Strange this is Mephisto everybody uh, for a brief moment was getting back on the Mephisto train <laughs> from WandaVision but it really it was played uh, slightly different uh, quite different than in the trailer and the trailer also made it seem like the spell going wrong created rifts that we were just going to see tons of of, of other Marvel Spider-Man universe characters just pouring through, which it didn't happen quite like that. It was a little more subtle than that. I did like the the scene. Doctor Strange is questioning Peter about you know whether uh, he went to MIT to explain to them and plead his case uh, for getting himself, MJ, and, and Ned a fair shot at, at going to college there. And Peter's like, no, he didn't. And Doctor Strange is like, what? You mean you didn't even think to go talk to them before you came to me to cast a spell to make everybody forget who you are, that you're Spider-Man? And she kind of kicks him out. And it was kind of a funny, funny little moment. I think it had a little bit more meaning because through this whole trilogy peter parker has been just a kid and he's acted like a kid he's made decisions like a kid would make and that i think plays into how the movie ends and where we go to the future but it was very i i think it was a very good portrayal that peter parker is just a kid he's not very mature he doesn't think things through and it's a situation where there is a journey, there is a character development that this kind of lays the foundation for. But we do find out that there have been rips in the space-time fabric or, or whatever you want to call it. And the spell that was cast isn't going to make people forget Spider-Man is Peter Parker, but is going to bring in everybody from all these other universes in the multiverse. Bring in everybody that knows Peter Parker is a Spider-Man. And that's really where business picks up. Now, before we get to that, I, I did miss a huge cameo. Peter, MJ, Ned... Aunt May, Happy Hogan, they're all kind of brought into this Department of Damage Control. It was a, a, a group that was, I don't know if they were created by Tony Stark after the Battle of New York or, or somewhere in that time frame. But uh, their, their sole purpose is to clean up messes after superheroes fight bad guys and destroy everything. But in being taken in by the feds, you got to get yourself a good lawyer. Everybody lawyers up, at least everybody except for Ned. He kind of spills the beans on everything. But it shows the uh, Peter Parker, Aunt May with Matt Murdock, played by Charlie Cox from the Daredevil Netflix series. And that was that was probably the first time in the movie theater that we got a cheer from the audience. And it's a big pet peeve of mine people talking during a movie and the more people you get in a movie theater the more you're going to have somebody yammering on and uh, the couple rows behind you or whatever talking you know somebody that just doesn't know what's going on constantly asking the person beside them uh, that drives me nuts so a lot of times when i go to the movie i like to take a day off from work you don't have to twist my arm to do that 
Uh, I'd like to go to a matinee like in the middle of the week. So it's like me and maybe if I'm lucky, one or two other people. And that way I'm not disturbed. I can sit there and focus on the movie and take it all in without disturbances. Well, this was something where I really wanted to get this on Monday's show. And first night it was out. Thursday night. Got off of work. Went straight to the movie theater. My my wife was at a hair appointment. She couldn't even watch it with me. I was like, sorry, sorry, hon. I gotta, I gotta do this. It's for the podcast. So I went and watched it. And the movie theater was pretty packed. I have to tell you, for a movie like this, uh, this grand, and with this uh, sort of fandom, it was probably one of the more fun times I've had watching a movie because you didn't have people yammering and talking. I mean, you had, uh, you know, from time to time, somebody would say something to whoever they were with, but for the most part, everybody was pretty cool about that. And everybody was so into it. There were moments where people like actually cheered and, and I'll talk about some of those moments, but one of the first moments was when Matt Murdock, uh, played by Charlie Cox, uh, made his appearance and we know that uh, Daredevil, played by Charlie Cox, is now a part of the MCU. And, and that's really cool. And that's really fun. And I, I was a big fan of the Daredevil Netflix series. So I'm excited to see uh, where they go, where we're going to see Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. Or when, when are we actually going to see him as Daredevil show up in the MCU? Uh, that's, that's all very exciting. But uh, another one of the big cheer scenes, a couple of the big cheer scenes, I might add, was that scene that you see on the bridge where all of a sudden you see these cars kind of exploding upwards and it's Doc Ock. He's under the bridge punching up with his tentacles and and the, the Hello Peter and everybody just roared with excitement uh, and to see him battling Spider-Man again. And Alfred Molina just plays uh, such a fantastic... I don't know if it's exactly how I imagined Doc Ock's sounding or being portrayed in my mind as a, a kid reading the comic books, but I was such a huge fan of him in Spider-Man 2 that now uh, I can't think of Doc Ock as anything else or anybody else than Alfred Molina's portrayal. And he does such a fantastic job with playing the villain, but uh, a villain with... He, he can play he can play Doc Ock as such a, a good guy and a good-hearted guy. Uh, and then when he makes that change to the villain and that flip-flopping back and forth, he just does such a fantastic job of making you, oh, God, you know, cringe with his uh, viciousness. But then, you know, he just has this empathy about him that uh, just makes the character so complex and so enjoyable to watch his portrayal of Doc Ock. And it was a really good fight scene because this was one of the moments where I didn't mind the Iron Spider suit because uh, Peter Parker, Iron Spider's up and he's got the little Iron Spider legs. So he's got four limbs and Doc Ock has four limbs and and they're going at it. And it was it was a really cool fan surface sort of t fight scene. But then when Doc Ock realizes it's not Peter Parker, just like in the in the trailer that was that was fun and then of course you see the the pumpkin bomb roll in and another big cheer when willem defoe's green goblin 
comes in on his glider and that that really was probably uh one of the one of the cool scenes one one of the scenes where okay now business is picking up in this movie it's not just about a bunch of kids uh, whining because they can't get into mit you know it's <laughs> this now we've got now this is a superhero movie and and that was that was quite a fun scene and not only do we get those two uh, coming into the MCU, both uh, figuratively and quite literally. We also get Risa Fons playing uh, Dr. Kirk Connors, a.k.a. the Lizard. I was never really huge on the, the CG Lizard that they did in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I hope they would have done a little better job with this, but they really didn't change the creature design. So I wasn't, I, I want more of a traditional lizard look, a little bit more of a snout on the lizard. But, but all in all, yeah, it was great to see him back. Really cool to see Jamie Foxx back as uh, Electro. And I love the redesign on Electro because that's one of the things that. Uh, I, I just didn't really care about in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was the fact that they made him blue. Uh, and it just it just didn't feel like Electro from the comics. And I love the redesign they did on Jamie Foxx because one, they let Jamie Foxx just be Jamie Foxx. Uh, no blue uh, CG character. And also the... The way his lightning—it wasn't blue; it was the you know traditional electro lightning. And then when he he uses his power, this uh, burst of electricity from his face comes out and makes almost like a star-shaped pattern, which is an homage to Electro in the comics because he had that kind of electricy star shape uh, mask going on with his costume. So I, I thought that was a great nod uh, to that and to to make one the the character character a lot cooler and want to feature Jamie Foxx in person uh, a physical human instead of you know CG I thought that was just fantastic I really enjoyed that aspect of having uh, Jamie Foxx back as Electro and some of the things we got nods to in the trailer uh, but it was never really confirmed in the trailer is you saw Sandman uh, you saw you know in some of the early trailers wisps of sand going through the streets of New York uh, then you know some of the later trailers you saw the scene with Electro and the lizard and the big Sandman face. But was Thomas Hayden Church going to reprise his role? Well, of course, Thomas Hayden Church was going to reprise his whole role as Flint Marco, a.k.a. Sandman. So it was really cool to see him back from Spider-Man 3. And, and the whole kind of middle section really focused on Doctor Strange sending Peter Parker, Spider-Man, out to essentially collect all these Spider-Man villains from other universes so they can send them back. And Tom Holland finds out through a lot of exposition that all of these, or most all of them, not all of them, uh, some of them actually were saved. Flint Marco kind of left on good terms with Spider-Man. Dr. Connors, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, he actually got turned back into uh, Dr. Connors from the Lizard. But of course, Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Electro all died while fighting Spider-Man. Doctor Strange wants to send them back to where they came from. Peter Parker doesn't want to kill them. He doesn't want to you know, send them back just to die. And he kind of has a crisis of heart kind of spearheaded by Aunt May saying that they need to, you know, he needs to help these these villains. And that causes a conflict between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, which 
leads to Doctor Strange being transported or trapped in this mirror universe for most of the movie until he makes his triumphant return at the end. But hey, you know what? Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't get paid by the minute. Now, Peter tries to fix all of these villains by himself. He, he gathers them with his Aunt May at uh, Happy Hogan's apartment, and he's, he's trying to work with them to find ways to to fix them it fixes doc ox with an inhibitor chip he has a thing on electro that's sapping all the power out of him they're working on a cure for norman osborne the green goblin and of course you know from spider-man uh, we see that norman osborne kind of slips in and out of of the green goblin and norman osborne personas that he has inside of him and at this point in the movie and may has kind of taken norman osborne in uh feels sorry for him that really kind of is the impetus for her telling peter parker that he's got to save these these villains uh, and send them back as changed men and they're working on a cure for him and we find out that norman osborne has slipped back into the green goblin persona and all hell breaks loose electro decides that he doesn't want to have his power zapped because you know he he's feeling so much much stronger and so much different than he did before in his universe he wants to stay he doesn't want to go back to die flint marco the sandman he just wants to go home to see his daughter dr octopus already has the inhibitor chip so you know uh, Otto Octavius is in control and he's more of a playing more of the face and Norman Osborn uh, lets loose an attack in this apartment and throughout this huge fight scene it, it all culminates at the end and probably one of the more heartbreaking moments of the movie we find that in this universe of Spider-Man he didn't have an Uncle Ben and we've got the Uncle Ben character in all the other movies the the toby Maguire, the andrew garfield movie we got versions of uncle ben this one never had an uncle ben and and i realize why because he didn't need an uncle ben in this he had an aunt may and aunt may dies because she gets hit with the green goblins glider and before she dies she utters that historic line in spider-man lore and I'm paraphrasing her version of it, but it was with great power comes a great responsibility. And this really sets the tone for Tom Holland's Peter Parker. He's heartbroken. Uh, all he wants is vengeance, which uh, leads to a, a great line coming up later when uh, we meet uh, two, two other characters that show up in this movie. Now, we got a lot in the trailer about the return of Dr. Octopus. That was obvious. Uh, we had a lot in hints in the the early trailers with the the pumpkin bomb uh, that Green Goblin, of course, that was later confirmed in the later trailers. Uh, Electro, Lizard, Sandman, we all knew they were going to be in this movie. The one thing that was speculated upon, and maybe the worst kept secret in Hollywood, because everybody knew this was coming. It had to come. They couldn't do this bringing in all these villains from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, the the Amazing Spider-Man movies. You couldn't do that. You couldn't bring these villains in from these previous movies and not bring back the other Spider-Man. And those were the two moments where we heard other huge cheers in the audience is when first through a little razzle-dazzle, Ned playing with magic, he opens a portal and out comes Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. 
and the audience just goes nuts and they they have some fun with it uh, not believing that he's spider-man and making him prove it and that sort of thing it, it was quite a fun scene a lot of the scenes with the spider-man were were quite fun and played for a little bit of humor well quite a lot of humor which I don't mind in a, a superhero fun comic book movie. Uh, but Ned's playing with this magic ring he he got from Doctor Strange, uh, doesn't know the portal, and and the next big cheer was Tobey Maguire coming in, although not dressed as Spider-Man. He's got like slacks and a, a polo and like a jacket on windbreaker jacket <laughs> andrew garfield uh, at one point asks him if he's got a spider-man costume or if he's gonna just uh go into this looking like a youth pastor it was hilarious probably one of the best laughs of the of the whole movie but the crowd just went nuts in the movie theater i was in when andrew garfield and toby mcguire uh, showed up and and it really it was something special. It, it felt like you were watching something special because uh, as much as the, like I said, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man movies weren't that well written. I didn't care for them that much. I really did love Andrew Garfield's uh, Spider-Man, his portrayal of Spider-Man. The scene where Gwen Stacy dies in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and he couldn't save her, or he, was, he was just too late to save her, was, was heartbreaking and, and just such a great scene for as sad as it was. Uh, Tobey Maguire, as much as Spider-Man 3 seemed a little clunky, you know, the work he did in Spider-Man 2 is just probably one of the perfect superhero sequels and spider-man one he, he did a good job whether you like his casting as peter parker that's a different story but but these two have such a history and to see them come with the the new incarnation of spider-man it just felt like you were watching something really special on the screen and like i said the scenes with all three of them together was just spectacular and there were some great scenes where they're talking about toby mcguire's organic spider webbing uh they make some jokes about uh toby mcguire's bad back the poor guy and that stupid bad back of his uh but the the scenes with all three of the spider-men together were were really fun and and played for a lot of laughs and, and a lot of fan service that's that's the one thing about this movie this movie was a lot of fan service but it was done in the right way now, the only thing that I kind of thought was a little a little hokey about the whole thing was they're trying to fix all of these supervillains. Uh, so when they go back to their own universe, it'll change their the course of history because they have been plucked out of different universes at different times. And, and Peter thinks that if he fixes them all, they'll go back to their timeline and Spider-Man, they won't die fighting Spider-Man. Uh, like I said, only three of them died, actually died fighting Spider-Man, but he wants to fix all these villains. And, and the way they do it, they've got all three Peter Parkers uh, with the help of Ned and MJ doing sciencey things and a big science montage. Uh, they're going to create a new inhibitor chip for Dr. Octopus. They're going to create sciencey things to uh, antidotes for Green Goblin and for the Lizard. They're going to sap all the electricity from Electro. They're going to fix Sandman with uh, some sort of uh, small version of the Super Collider that uh, that turned him into Sandman. And, and all of it just seemed a little too easy. Well, here's what we're going to do. All this supposed science and... 
we're all three super geniuses and we're just going to make all this stuff right here. It just, like I said, it, it just all seemed a little too easy. Uh, if this were such an easy solution, then why didn't they figure this out in the other movies? But but far be it from me. Uh, I'm all about suspension of disbelief. So I uh, suspended that disbelief. It's a little far-fetched as it seemed and a little too easy as it seemed. Uh, this movie wasn't about... Uh, challenges. This was about the experience. And I didn't mind that they forego the challenge of how to defeat these monsters, how to quote-unquote fix these bad guys, and more focused on the experience of all these different Spider-Men and villains from all these different movies coming together into one. And that really was the fun of this movie and the experience of this movie. Which led to the big climactic battle scene at the Statue of Liberty. Of course, the Statue of Liberty now has a big Captain America shield. But when you get superheroes and supervillains fighting at any location, that's not going to last long. But the the whole scene at the Statue of Liberty, the, the great climax of this movie, where you've got all three Spider-Man uh, who aren't used to working together. And they kind of play off of that. They're not used to working together. They're trying to, to defeat these villains. They, they've come up with a plan, but they're, they're not used to working together. And, and that whole thing plays out. And, and then they have a come together. Okay, you're going to be Spider-Man 1. You're going to be Spider-Man 2. You're going to be Spider-Man 3. And we'll use our spider sense to kind of know where each other is going. And go. And and then that's when the tide kind of turns. It was, it was a fun moment. Like I said, a lot of the... Peter Parker, Spider-Man, multi-versions uh, was played for, for a lot of fun and a lot of comedy. And, and that scene was no different. But one of the really cool scenes that really got a huge pop from the audience at the movie theater is a scene that they played so differently in the trailer. It's that scene where we see Spider-Man kind of swinging in. And then you've got Electro up here. You've got... The lizard down here, you've got the big sand uh, sandman in the middle, and it, it looked odd. It looked like something was missing from that scene because you had the lizard punching it thin air. You had Electro doing something thin and what everybody suspected and what actually happened was they painted out uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man so, uh, for the trailer. So when that scene hits and you see all three Spider-Man swinging at the supervillains and that, that music hits, it was just such a great hero moment that it, it just, yeah, you got goosebumps watching it because like I said, it just felt like you were watching a spectacle, something spectacular, something uh, special on the screen. And, and that was probably one of the cool moments of the whole movie, uh, that, that hero shot of the three Spider-Men swinging into action uh, against the supervillains. One of my favorite scenes. Uh, another scene that was played so very emotionally was somehow uh, MJ and Ned get to the statue through one of these portals that, that, that Ned's creating with this ring that he got uh, inadvertently from Doctor Strange. But uh, they end up on the Statue of Liberty, and MJ falls. She gets knocked off. She's falling off the Statue of Liberty. Tom Holland goes to rescue her. You, you see, I think that, that scene is in the, in the trailer. 
and Tom Holland's diving to go catch her and rescue her as, as one would expect. And here comes the Green Goblin on his glider and he knocks Tom Holland's Spider-Man off. And we see Andrew Garfield spring into action and he dives and rescues MJ in the way he couldn't rescue Gwen Stacy in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And just that moment when he dives off the Statue of Liberty to rescue her, you know he's going to. And the emotion of him being able to get a little personal absolution from the fact that he couldn't rescue his love, but he's going to rescue this other Spider-Man's love. And the emotion of when, when they touch down after he saves MJ and he asks if she's okay. And then she, she's like, yeah, she asks if he's okay because he's starting to, to tear up. I, I got to admit, I was tearing up a little bit too. Just the, that, the, the gravity of that whole situation where, where Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man uh, was just a second too late to rescue Gwen Stacy at the end of, of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It was just It was heart-wrenching. And to see a character, you know it's just the movies, you know it's just a character, it's not real life, but to see that sort of redemption uh, was just, uh, it was beautiful to watch. And I, I don't care what anybody says, uh, it, it was touching and it was it was so heartfelt and Andrew Garfield played that that so well. There was another scene that I, I really liked, and it really had a lot of heart to, from Tobey Maguire. Now, uh, earlier in the movie, when uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, uh, they're introduced to Tom Holland's Spider-Man. It's right after Aunt May has died. Tom Holland's uh, Peter Parker is just in abject sorrow and wants revenge and vengeance. And they kind of have the talk with him about how you know they lost their Uncle Ben's. And that, that moment when they realize that Uncle Ben in, in both of their stories said the same thing to them that Aunt May told Peter Parker that with great power comes great responsibility. But both of those characters, uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's characters, both went into dark places in their in their universes. Uh, you know, Andrew Garfield went into dark places after Gwen died and he talks about how he got bitter and he stopped pulling his punches. Uh, not so much something we saw on the screen, uh, but alluded to in his life after the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Uh, Tobey Maguire, we saw uh, what he did to the guy he thought who killed his uh, Uncle Ben uh, at the in the first Spider-Man movie, in the rage, and, and they really kind of tried to convey to him that they knew how they felt, even though he didn't want to hear it. But there was a, a scene uh, on this fallen Captain America shield where uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is taking on Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, and it's this knockdown, drag-out fight. And Green Goblin is goading Peter Parker on in, in this whole fight about killing Aunt May and, and all these things. And Tom Holland finally lets loose. He's about to stab the Green Goblin with the blades on his on his glider and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man comes out of nowhere and stops him from, from making a, a mistake he'll never be able to come back from, killing the Green Goblin. He stops Tom Holland from doing that. Tom Holland's Peter Parker. And next thing you know, Green Goblin stabs Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker or Spider-Man in the back. 
and just that <laughs> just that scene i i, I kind of laugh because of the way it, it all works out in the end but it's that moment where you you just you're in, in awe you're awestruck because you're like oh my god the green goblin just killed spider-man and it was one of those scenes in the movie that got a gasp from the whole audience. Same as when MJ uh, fell and Peter Parker got knocked uh, away and, and you saw Andrew Garfield jump down after. There was a gasp and then a cheer rose up. But there was no cheer after this. Just this gasp of disbelief that this was going to happen. That uh, that Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is dead. Now, it was kind of a, a red herring, if you Not even a red herring. But it was... Uh, he ended up being fine at the end of it. So there was no, it's like, we're going to, we're going to make you think we killed him, but we're not really going to kill him because that we might want to bring him back for another Spider-Man movie. But uh, I, I thought that was a little bit of cheap emotion to, to get out of the audience with, with that play. But being the last supervillain for them to to get the antidote to, uh, they get it to him, Norman Osborn, uh, or Green Goblin, turns back to Norman Osborn and, and realizes the error of his ways. And then Doctor Strange sends, every bag, it sends everybody back from whence they came. Now, as you saw in the trailer, the multiverse is ripping open and all these characters uh you know they made it sound in the trailer that it was just the multiverse ripping open and anybody could come through really with the spell that dr strange cast it was only people that knew spider-man was peter parker could come through and would come through but it still meant a, a lot of villains and superheroes from other movies could have jumped in the answer to this of course was uh spider-man peter parker Tom Holland, uh, asking him to make everybody forget that he is Spider-Man, that Peter Parker, nobody, everybody will forget Peter Parker. Aunt May is gone. It's a sacrifice he's going to make because that means that uh, MJ and Ned won't know who he is, but his identity will be safe where it felt like, well, even before J. Jonah Jameson announced it to the world. I feel like everybody knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man. He, 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 that was the worst kept secret in Queens. But if Doctor Strange casts the spell, nobody will know that he's Spider-Man. And then the multiverse will close back up and he'll be, he'll be on his own. But that's the sacrifice he's willing to make. And that really is kind of the big arc of this movie for Spider-Man. Is that he goes from being this immature kid who just doesn't think things through. And instead of going to the MIT Board of Admissions and, and pleading his case, the first thing he thought to do was go to his superhero buddy and have him cast a spell. He just made immature decisions. And that was kind of the leitmotif of all three of these Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland, is that Spider-Man was a kid, and he did kid things, and he, he made kid decisions. And with that line, with great power comes great responsibility, when Aunt May, his... His, you know, his whole world uh, next to MJ and Ned uh, dies and, and tells him this. I, I think it changes him. And when he sees the the sacrifice uh, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker Spider-Man made to, to keep him from making a mistake, it, it all kind of culminated in him growing up and realizing that he does have great power. And with that comes great responsibility. And you have to 
take it a little more seriously. Uh, you have to grow up some. And and that, I think, when when we see it all said and done and played out, I think he does grow up because he has a chance to go see MJ and Ned and try to reintroduce himself, try to make them remember, because they make this promise before the spell is cast that he's going to find them and he's going to make them remember him. And he doesn't. He just lets them live their life uh, because he knows if if they know him, he's going to want them to know he's Spider-Man and that's going to wreck their lives all over again. And he's he's doing the adult thing, the hard thing, you know, doing adult things is all about making the hard choices. And we get to see that he's he's grown up and it all ends with him moving into his crappy apartment uh, we got to imagine he's going to get a job, you know, taking pictures or something uh, in, in the future. Hopefully, uh, you know, I hope they uh, put that aspect of Peter Parker into play somewhere along the way. But uh, you see him sewing his own Spider-Man suit. He's no longer and nobody remembers him at Stark Industries. So he's not going to have all that Stark tech to be his safety blanket, to be his you know safety net he's got to do it on his own and and we see him swinging off in that traditional red and blue spider-man outfit and none of the stark stuff none of the flashy designs and, and and things like that and i think it was a brilliant way to not reboot the series because you're not rebooting anything but you're recalibrating this series because like I said at the beginning of this uh, one of the things I disliked about the Tom Holland Spider-Man is because it, there was too much stark tech involved you know he he never had any time to just be your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man uh, out on his own uh, next thing you know he's got Tony Stark suits and that foreign fit and nanotechnology and he doesn't have to change into his costume he just think something and the nanobots you know surround them with a an iron suit and and it just it, it lost some of the charm of what made spider-man such a great hero just this kid in a suit swinging around new york fighting crime and and i think with the way this ended nobody knows peter parker is spider-man Unlike the previous two movies where it felt like everybody knew he was Spider-Man. And you've got him back to basics with the with the plain suit and just going out and being Spider-Man. And that makes me excited for the future of Spider-Man. Because this movie, it didn't set up a lot of things that people thought it was going to set up. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that these bad guys were going to remain in this universe but they got sent back to their own universes uh, now that's not to say that we aren't going to see a version of willem dafoe as norman osborne the green goblin or a version of alfred molina as doc ock or sandman or electro or any of those characters it doesn't mean we're not going to see a version of them show up in this universe so i'm excited to see that because you know everybody thought this was a sinister six setup because they've wanted to do a sinister six movie for for quite some time going back to the andrew garfield uh, spider-man movies it, it, it all remains to be seen like i said uh the future is wide open for spider-man now they've taken it back to basics and they've opened the door for uh, a lot of cool stuff and a lot of cool characters to to show up in this universe and you know the multiverse isn't over just yet 
because we do have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which we'll talk a little more in depth uh, coming up as we get to one of the post-credit scenes. Uh, another thing people really thought uh, with this whole multiverse storyline, uh, people thought, myself included, we are all looking for a way to get the X-Men into the MCU. Of course, uh, Disney uh, now owns Fox, so they own the rights to the X-Men once again. And we've been uh, clamoring. We've been trying to find a way, uh, or at least expecting uh, Marvel and Disney to, to find a way to work in how mutants and the X-Men could be a part of the MCU. Uh, we thought it was going to happen in the internals. Uh, it didn't happen there. We thought it was going to happen in WandaVision. It didn't happen there. We thought it was going to happen in, in this with the whole multi verse thing it didn't happen there and when for the love of god is marvel and disney gonna introduce uh mutants and x-men uh maybe multiverse of madness it's getting to the point now where i'm gonna stop guessing when and just see when it happens but uh, but everyone did think that this was gonna be uh Possibly one of the movies where they start to introduce mutants and and hopefully get the X-Men sometime real soon. Got to talk about the mid credit scene. Now, if you watched Venom, Let There Be Carnage, you know at the end of that, Venom and Eddie Brock are on vacation. And all of a sudden, they get zapped from their universe to the Tom Holland Spider-Man universe. And we're like, oh yeah, Eddie Brock and Venom, they're going to, you know initiate them into the MCU here and Venom and Eddie Brock are going to be a part of this universe. Uh, that would have been too easy and a little too hard to do. You know, Venom came from Spider-Man uh, to Eddie Brock. So we, we'd miss all that. Uh, so what did they do? They have Eddie Brock with Venom inside of them at this tiki bar, uh, still on vacation while this is all going on. And when Doctor Strange sends everybody back, and and you might say to yourself, well, Peter Parker and Spider-Man aren't in Venom's universe, the Venom-Eddie Brock universe that we know from, from the Venom movies. Uh, but as Venom set up in the post credit scene to Let There Be Carnage, that the symbiotes have a hive mind which spans across multiple universes so while eddie brock didn't know peter parker was spider-man venom did because of the different symbiotes in the various universes who knew peter parker was spider-man so that's that's kind of how eddie brock and venom got brought in when it was supposed to be people who knew uh, that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. But they get sucked back into their own universe so they can go back to do Let There Be or Venom 3, Let There Be More Venom. Who knows what they're going to call it. But uh, Eddie Brock and Venom back in their own movie universe. But we see a little black blob, a little Venom spore on the counter of the tiki bar so i gotta say we're gonna get a traditional venom storyline in the spider-man tom holland universe uh, sometime in the near future which that's exciting because i always loved that that storyline i loved peter parker spider-man and the black suit was so cool back in what was it, the mid 80s so really excited about that and then we got the pro post credit scene which was pretty much a glorified trailer for Doctor Strange 
Multiverse of Madness, which is coming out, uh, when is it, February or March of next year, sometime uh, first half of next year. So really excited about that. One of the cool things that, uh, this is a huge spoiler, but one of the things we see in that is the version of Doctor Strange from the What If series on Disney Plus. Of course, they did the one episode of What If, where it was What If Doctor Strange Lost His Heart and Not His Hands. And we see this uh, version of Doctor Strange that's darker and colder and more hungry for power. And somebody that looks, you know, a version of Benedict Cumberbatch that looks strangely, pardon the pun, strangely like that Doctor Strange shows up at the end of the of the little mini trailer. So really cool to see what's going to go on with Multiverse of Madness. And uh, I'm excited about that. But all in all, this was a fantastic movie. Like I said, the first, uh, first uh, maybe hour of it, 45 minutes of it, uh, I was like, this, this is okay. It was a lot of Peter Parker, Ned and MJ trying to figure out how they're going to get into college, which didn't excite me any. But once Doc Ock showed up and Green Goblin showed up, everything just went 100 miles an hour and made this movie such a fun movie. And the performances were great. Yeah, Alfred Molina is just fantastic as Dr. Octopus. Like you said, he can play such a great villain, but he can also play a villain with uh, that you have a little empathy for. Uh, same with Willem Dafoe. This, I tell you what, was a huge win for Willem Dafoe as an actor to be able to come back and do this. And he, uh, word is that he said that he would only come back to do this if he got to be a main player. He didn't want to do just some bit cameo. He wanted to really have something he could have fun with, uh, doing as many stunts as that they would let him do. You know, he did uh, fight scenes and things like that. And one of the things I loved about this version of the Green Goblin is that uh, early on, when Norman Osborn, Green Goblin, comes into the this world, he takes his mask off, and he's having one of those inner dialogues with between himself, Norman Osborn, and the Green Goblin, and he ends up smashing the mask. And we see him later with this purple hoodie on with an overcoat over top of that, uh, very reminiscent of the Green Goblin colors. And towards the end, uh, you know, the rest of the suit's ripped away. He's got, he's still got his Green Goblin armor on, but he's got that purple hood, which is kind of reminiscent of the purple hat Green Goblin wore. But he didn't have a mask on. And Willem Dafoe is such a great, uh, he's got such great facial expressions when he acts. And to be able to see him go in and out from Green Goblin and Norman Osborn uh, a little bit more uh, in, in regards to the action. Whereas all the action scenes, you know, Green Goblin was wearing a mask in in the original Spider-Man movie. This was just a great way for to, to see just what a fantastic actor Willem Dafoe is. Uh, he's such a fantastic actor that I can't say enough, but he was, he was really, uh, this was a great triumph for him as an actor, I think. Uh, Jamie Foxx, there was one scene that I, I just loved. It was after uh, they finally, you know, cured him and sapped all the energy out of him. He's sitting there talking with uh, Spider-Man, a.k.a. Peter Parker, who takes his mask off. And he's talking about, you know, all the all the good you do for people and helping people. I always thought you'd be black. 
and, and Andrew Garfield's like, oh, I'm sorry. And, and he said, uh, there's got to be a black Spider-Man out there somewhere, which everybody in the audience kind of lit up a little bit because that's obviously a nod to the Miles Morales version of Spider-Man that we get in into the Spider-Verse and across the Spider-Verse movie that's going to be coming out. I got to imagine they're going to be doing a, a Miles Morales uh, Spider-Man movie, live action Spider-Man movie somewhere along the way, or, or maybe we'll see him in, you know, I, I have to imagine the reason they didn't kill off Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man when Green Goblin stabbed him in the back is that they do plan in some form or fashion, uh, bringing these guys back in again to this universe. And maybe, maybe next time, we get something, you know, where Miles Morales shows up as, you know, as his version of Spider-Man. So just like I said, there's so much to do in the future. Uh, there, there's so much room for the for more things and cool things in the future that I'm just excited where this movie left things off for the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man and the universe that he lives in. One other thing that I found very hilarious is the Ned character was asking if there are any other Neds in the different universes. And he asked Tobey Maguire uh, if he had a best friend. And and Tobey's talking about, yeah, and he died in my arms, talking about Harry Osborn. <laughs> Ned gets this uh, look on his face. And before he says his goodbye to uh, to Tom Holland's Peter Parker, he says that he promises he'll never turn into a supervillain and kill him. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because Ned Leeds was one of the hobgoblins in the in the comics. So will they do that? I don't know. But later again, like I said, uh, the future's bright and wide open as can be for Spider-Man uh, with the way they lend off, left off this fantastic movie. Of course, another character that I, I was uh, really not expecting a lot from because I haven't really cared for this character, but really she uh, impressed me with her growth as an actress, and I think I understood the character a little more thanks to Spider-Man No Way Home. It was Zendaya as MJ. Like I said in the beginning, I'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to some stories and with spider-man and and his storyline mj is mary jane watson and she's a redhead and she's feisty and she's firing she grows up she wants to be an actress and she's glamorous and and uh, they they played that a little bit with the Sam Raimi MJ character, but but even not to the standard of what I wanted it to be, and I was so disappointed in this, and I never really caught it uh, when when the first Spider-Man uh, Homecoming came out. That she's not Mary Jane Watson, she's Michelle Jones Watson, and maybe I thought at the time, well, they're just changing the name just to I, I don't know but uh, but not only did Zendaya not look the part not look that fiery redhead like I, I wanted Mary Jane to be she wasn't glamorous she was kind of uh, a little tomboyish and very sarcastic and kind of I don't know just uh, playing the tough girl but they didn't even get her name right and that bugged me until watching this realized that 
that this isn't Mary Jane Watson. This isn't the Mary Jane Watson from the comics. This isn't Mary Jane Watson from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. This is Peter Parker's MJ, but she is a different version of MJ because this is a different universe. And in that regard, it started to make a little more sense. I, I started to enjoy the character a little more and Zendaya's performance as the character a little more because it subverted my expectations of what I, I thought MJ was supposed to be. And it's not Mary Jane Watson. This is a different character. So, so I'm okay with that. And I think Zendaya, she's, uh, she's getting better as she, she matures and, and becomes a better actress. I, I've always uh, given her a bit of a knock because, like, you know, she just plays the same character. Like, a lot, and a lot of actors do that. You know, when you, when you hire Jack Nicholson, you're getting Jack Nicholson playing whatever character, not him transforming into a character. So that's not a knock. It just, uh, just Zendaya plays Zendaya type characters and I held that against her maybe I wanted this character to be the more traditional MJ but but once I realized that like I said this is a different universe and in this universe MJ isn't Mary Jane Watson she's Michelle Jones Watson and uh, so I understood the character a little more and I, and I thought Zendaya uh, like I said she's grown as an actress and and did a really good job she kind of and maybe it was in some of the writing as well they uh, knocked it off with the making her such a tomboy, uh, tough girl. You know, she's still kind of sarcastic and uh, you know smart ass, but but that's all right. And, uh, that kind of plays up to the you know the feistiness of the MJ from the comics. So I, I did enjoy this character a lot more in this one, and and I'd be interested to see how they reincorporate her back into Peter's life in in Spider Man to come. And I suppose that really kind of plays into one of the main themes of this movie is second chances. Uh, you know, my, myself giving Zendaya a second chance and this Mary Jane or this MJ character uh, of this uh, franchise a, a second chance. Uh, there's a lot of second chances going on. Peter gets a second chance at being the Spider-Man he should have been because he, he grew up. And, you know, you got the second chances with all these villains getting a second chance to to be cured and go back and and hopefully survive <laughs> um, half of them you know over half of them uh, died fighting spider-man so they get a second chance spider-man gives mj and ned a second chance to to lead their own lives and and to uh, live their lives unencumbered by their relationship to Spider-Man, and you know they inadvertently get a second chance because he's made the choice to do the the hard thing and and give them that second chance. So uh, the the theme of second chances is huge throughout this. You can find uh, you know all sorts of parallels uh, throughout the movie and throughout the individual characters. But uh, I thought it was a a great theme and a great message uh, in this movie. Hopefully, Disney, Marvel can keep on good terms with Sony and keep Spider-Man pumping out these great Spider-Man movies, uh, these great Spider-Man MCU movies for years to come. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to more great things in the future from Spider-Man. So, 
there you have it. That's my views on Spider-Man. Just a fantastic movie. If you haven't watched it, you, you really should. I don't know as if I would agree with Tom Holland that this is uh, the stakes or this whole movie is bigger than Endgame. But it is, like I said, a great way to wrap up this fantastic trilogy and set up the future of Spider-Man. So I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, check us out, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook, where we're posting you know, trailers from different TV shows and movies coming out. We're also posting, I'm, I'm looking for articles all over the internet uh, of things that might interest you in the world of horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And we've got uh, another big episode coming up on Thursday the 23rd uh, Nightmare Alley, the new film from Guillermo del Toro. I'll be talking about that. And then we're coming up on Christmas week on the 27th uh, after Christmas. Going to be doing my recap on The Witcher Season 2. And then coming up on Thursday the 30th, we're going to do a bizarre year in review. Not, not bizarre in regards to uh, COVID or anything that's going on in, in the world at large. No bizarre in the world of uh, horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. All the fun stuff that we've got to experience over the past year. So be looking forward to that. Like I said, uh, like us on Facebook and follow us there. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, one, I thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for taking the time to listen to what I have to say. And please leave a review, no matter where you're listening to this. Five stars would be awesome, but whatever you, whatever review you give us, uh, we certainly appreciate it. And again, I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!